Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to New Cyber Frontier. We are here today with Mike Tillman. Hi, Mike. Hey, Martha. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. You did awesome. Thank you. Um, So as I told you right before we started, you are my very first solo interview. So I'm completely petrified of you right now. No, no need to be. (laughs) Um, It'll be fun. (laughs) Yes. So we met, I would say, probably originally about four years ago. I was working at UMBC Training Centers and reached out to you at the time you were working local with Northrop Grumman um, there in the Columbia, Baltimore area. And I felt like the first time I met you, you just had such a way about you. And you described building your team in a way that really resonated with me that I've never seen anyone in cybersecurity and management do before. Um, and I was wondering if you could kind of bring us back to that moment and tell us um, your philosophy on building your team. Uh, sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Martha. Mike Tillman, as accused. Uh, I work for a small startup company <laughs> called Northrop Grumman. <laughs> We're only about 90,000 employees strong. But yeah, at the time, I was working uh, in the Cyber Operations Center, what we call our CSOC, the Cybersecurity Operations Center, and the role of the CSOC is essentially cybersecurity, uh, threat monitoring, incident handling, incident response for the enterprise, for the North Grumman Corporation. I had taken over an existing team uh, with kind of a warning from the boss, the CISO at the time, that you know the team needed some leadership and they had been without a leader for a while. And, and you know there were some, some problems or issues to be resolved. Um, and what you're speaking of specifically, my approach, my philosophy is, is that um, technology will always continue to advance, uh, but it's the people that are using the technology, executing it, interpreting the data and the results. That's kind of the, the, un, the unknown space or the untapped resource, um, in, in Mike's opinion, of course. So my approach is more of a people approach than a technical approach. I think you can always update your software and your apps and your hardware and all that. But if you don't have the right people, none of that matters. Uh, So specifically, uh, my approach is I assess uh, the needs, the wants, the capability and kind of the pathway of the person um, while adding them to my team versus necessarily their technical skills or prowess. Um, Because if you can read, you can learn and we can teach you just about anything. Uh, the, The question is, is. Do you have the right personality? Are you willing to learn and kind of willing to, I hate to use the term succumb, but to our way, succumb to our way of doing business, um, uh, if you will. So uh, back then I was reviewing my team uh, from a sense of a personality profile perspective and looking to see, unfortunately or fortunately, which ones were going to make it and which ones were not going to make it. So this organization had existed on its own for a while. 
I uh, wasn't doing very well. And I was here to, I don't want to say fix it because it wasn't broken. I was here to make it better. Um, the goal is to always make some, leave something better than you found it. Uh, what I found was there were a lot of highly technical individuals. Uh, notice that an individual is not a highly functioning team. And that was what I found out to be the core issue. Uh, a lot of I's and me's versus us's and we's. Uh, if that makes sense in my uh, my Kentucky lingo where I was born and raised. Um, so in meeting the folks and assessing their abilities, their abilities for technology were very high, but their abilities, their soft skills with engaging other human beings were very low. And therefore, I diagnosed the initial problem is that a lot of folks that wanted to be very technical, but did not necessarily want to do uh, paperwork, administrative functions, organization uh, you know, things like scheduling meetings or taking meeting minutes and distributing minutes and, you know, allowing other people to give input into meeting topics and such. It's just, it was all, I'm very technical. I'm very good at what I do. And I don't really care what everyone else does as long as they don't get into my way. Uh, so, so that's, I'm sorry. It, does, say, it sounds like right off the bat, you identified the problem. Um Right now, we have to, I'm so sorry, we have to stop and take a break and hear from our sponsors, but we'll come right back and then maybe hear about the solution and what you did to change that. Sure, absolutely. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. You are. <laughs> We're back with Mike Tillman. Mike is the Department Manager of Cybersecurity, Information Warfare, and Cyber Non-Kinetics. And he was just telling us about how when he originally, years ago, how long was that that you took over that team? Oh, wow. That was 2013, but I held that job for six years. So I recently left there about a year and a half ago. Okay. So about seven years ago when you originally took over your team. And it sounds like you found out right away that you had a people problem, not a technology problem. And Absolutely. the way that I hear you're describing it, it almost sounds like you viewed your role as a team manager. Yeah, I think any leader that you're absolutely right. That is your role uh, as a team manager. Um, or team leader. Uh, Would that be more accurate? Uh, sure, you can say team leader. Uh, I'm a Marine, so being <laughs> a team leader is, is core to my functionality uh, as a manager and as a leader. So I try to balance both. I don't think uh, being a manager or being a leader are the same thing. I think they're, they're two different things, but you should try to combine both sets of skills uh, I don't want to get off track. Oh, that's a different conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but yes, uh, I felt like my goal was to assess the team, the team's capabilities, and then figure out how to essentially enhance the team, how to maximize the team's efforts. Uh, I obviously couldn't fire all of them and replace all of them without completely uh, destroying the operations, the work that they were doing on a daily basis. So what I tried to do was assess what they were doing how they were doing it, and then try to do my own research or use my own background knowledge 
uh, in the same mission space to figure out how we can do, what can we do better and how do we get better? Can you give me a specific example? So did you use personality testing? Did you do one-on-ones with them? Like what specifically did you do to, to dig into the individuals and how did you decide who stays on the team and who doesn't? Sure. Uh, several good questions. Initially, I started with one-on-ones. I, I think uh, as a leader, uh, your number one asset, in my opinion, for leadership characteristics or traits is empathy. Uh, understanding each individual, where they are, how they, how they move, what makes them tick, and then what their needs are. And then you utilize that information to help propel them forward and get the most out of them. So I started with individual one-on-ones. Hey, how are you? Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What'd you study? How long have you been here? What's your, what are your strengths versus development areas? I don't like the term weaknesses. What do you value most about working here? And what, if you could change, would you change? So trying to get a feed from them about what's the state of the union and this organization from them individually and trying to take some really accurate notes on their responses so I can compare the responses amongst the rest of the team. At that time, I had already gotten a briefing from leadership as to what leadership above me suspected were the issues, at least from their perspective, but I needed to try to figure out what was the truth on the ground because those two things don't always coincide. What leadership sees as a problem and what the employees see as a problem uh, don't usually match. So after Can having- Can I ask you a question about that? Sorry to, sure, to cut you off. Is no, you're fine. I've always had I have a theory about that, and maybe you can tell me if I'm completely off or not. But my theory is that leadership identifies tools um, and processes as being a problem, and usually leaders within the team identify um, like the working relationships um, as a team as a problem. Is that what you found, or am I am I off base on that? I, I don't think you're too far off base. Um, it's a little different. Well, what, I, what I'm going to say is a little different, but just probably using different words. Uh, leadership sees issues in dollars and cents. Gotcha. Um, so if we have this many people and we've invested this much technology, yes. why are they not performing at a higher level? What's the problem here? We've got the people with, with great salaries. We've invested in the technology here. This should be great. And the issue there is, yeah, you've got people there, but they're maybe not the right people. Um, and, and that's a problem that no one wants to hear, because if you look from a talent acquisition standpoint, well, they've got all the right resumes and all the right degree areas and all the right certifications. This should be an amazing team of folks. And, then, and the problem is these people are successful as individuals, but none of them have ever worked in a team environment or none of them have ever thrived in a team environment or not to dismiss anyone that's of a certain age, but most of them are under a certain age and are new in their careers. They're early career professionals. So there's not a good blend of senior to mid-level to early career folks. They're just mostly early career folks. And so there's really a depth or a lack of leadership there. It's really what I, what I found to be the core issue. So it almost sounds like I hear you kind of hinting at the traditional degree pathway right, to get into cybersecurity. So if that's not the best indicator of success in a SOC team, then what is? Great question. Um, There's nothing wrong with degree-based programs. The difficulty there that a lot of early career folks find is it's hard to get a job requiring experience without having experience. 
How do I get experience if I can't get a job because it requires experience? Degree-based programs, all the content is theory-based. There's not a lot of practical application. When you come out and you're working in an operations center, um, if there's not a solid training program that's going to help you develop into an analyst, help you develop good analytical habits and good contextual building processes and TTPs to support you, you're going you're gonna to flounder because all you know is, yeah, I ran Wireshark in a lab environment or I've dealt with Splunk in a lab environment. But now here it is live and in living color in front of you. And you're like, yeah, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with this. Um, so not knocking degree-based programs, but I would say the more practical application any applicant can bring to the table, regardless of where it is, the better they'll be. Because cyber is cyber, regardless of where you work. If it's the U.S. government, if it's Department of Defense, if it's Northrop Grumman, if it's Lockheed Martin, cyber, the fundamentals of cyber don't change. But, but the fluctuation is how the organization wants you to do it based on that organization's risk appetite. Uh, what's really, really, really important and a priority level incident for Northrop Grumman may not translate to what, I don't know, to what Under Armour says is a priority level incident to them, right? To whatever their intellectual property is. So you have to learn what each organization wants of you. And if there's not, if you don't come with that practical application those skills, that background and the tool suite that that organization wants you to use, you're going you're gonna to be in trouble in the beginning. So I would say it's okay if you've, it's okay if you've come through a degree-based program, if you've self-studied and gained certifications to enter the field, if you're exiting out of military service, there's no wrong answer. But I would say the better your practical application skills are, the more attuned you are to the current tool suite that's prevalent in this mission space in this area, I'd say the more successful you would be, particularly in your early days. I rambled a little bit. Does that make sense? No, that makes great sense. Um, I think we need to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk to you about diversity. Yes, ma'am. BlockFrame technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back with Mike Tillman. Mike, I just made the linkage between you were a Marine and now you are corporate. And that's why you have the monogram shirts. You, you're used to having them. You've, had the, you've been trained this way. Um, I have to have my name on my clothes. You're exactly right. <laughs> you have your name on, on your luggage too, don't you? I know you're at a hotel room now. Is it- I, I, I actually do, yes. You do. Okay. Well, once a Marine, always a Marine. Is that a phrase? Been- Semper till I die. <laughs> till I die. That's right. Um, so we were just getting ready to talk about diversity, and you know, diversity comes in, in all different in all different um, ways, right? It's not just about color or gender. Mm-hmm. And I know before you've told me about your team 
and the different pathways they took to get to you and diversity within the team that you built. Can you tell us a little bit about diversity within your team and why that's important to you? Sure. Uh, diversity is is a huge aspect of su- building successful teams. Um, it's cool that we live in a diversity or a social conscious society right now that's kind of trying to wake up and and catch up with what a lot of us have been asking for focus on for a long time. Uh, I say that as an African-American male, uh, it's cool, but it's kind of passe. And in my opinion, hopefully it doesn't kind of wear off. Uh, but yeah, diversity is, is a really big deal, in my opinion, because I think the more diverse your team, it should lead to greater innovation and the more creative of your ideas to solve intricate or difficult problems. Uh, if we all come from the same mindset or the same backgrounds, we're all going to lean or favor toward the same kind of ideas. Uh, I've been, I went through some training once and they talk about the seeds bias, the seeds bias uh, talks about uh, subconscious biases and to devise a plan for how to uh, cut them off or interrupt them when they arise. So you have your similarity, your um, experience, your expedience, and your distance, you know, the things that make us lean towards certain ideas because Martha and I grew up in the same town and went to the same schools and have the same experiences and we served in the same service unit. So we, we know how it's done better than everyone else. You know, that's similarity bias. So that's, that's not fair. Almost like creating like an echo chamber. Is that what you're saying? Right. If you send it, if you put other people around you that have the same culture or belief system or experience yes. or whatever it is, you create yes. an echo chamber and then you're not bringing in diversity of thought. Absolutely. So but as you mentioned, question about that. So if, if I have an yeah. echo chamber and people are similar to me, I get more done because we all agree on the pathway we're going to move forward and we just jump in and we we accomplish what we want to accomplish. Um, sure. If, if that's the goal, that's fine. But if the goal is to find the best solution that, in my opinion, is going, your success will be limited. Uh, maybe you may have early success in one or two use cases, but I think if the goal is to find the best solution, if the goal is to be the best, I don't think there's any way you can do that um, with that type of team structure. Uh, you mentioned diversity not being just gender-based or, or uh, ethnicity-based. It's where you diversity is different places you went to school, diversity is different backgrounds, diversity is is religions, it's, it's sexual orientations, it's all of that because we all bring, we should all be allowed to bring our entire self to work and share our ideas. No, there are no bad questions. There are no bad thoughts. There are no bad initiatives that you can pitch out there. Let's, let's throw it on the wall and see if it sticks. So it's, it's not just being black or white. It's not, it's being Muslim. It's being Jewish. It's being Christian. It's going to school on the West Coast. It's going to school on the East Coast. It's maybe not having gone to school at all until you were in your adulthood because you were in the service for 10 to 20 years. And now that's a different level of experience and exposure that the folks that just went to school and they've been in the workforce for 10 to 12 years, whereas you were in the service for 10 to 12 years, you both have a diverse background of thoughts and ideas that simply makes the team better. We're basically covering the spectrum of focus and of perception and perspective for what right looks like. And if we can coalesce all of that, if we can harness all of that power into a unified resource and then attack a problem from that perspective or from that, that level, if you will, I think we've covered the gamut of what's the right answer. It's not just a room full of scientists. 
It's not just a room full of engineers. It's not just a room full of analysts either, but it's bringing the scientists, the analysts, the engineers, even allowing the managers to have some input. And it's not just the men, it's not just the women, it's everyone at every level. I think that is, in my opinion, um, that's how you solve the hardest problems. One of my mentors uh, from Northrop Grumman would always say, there's always room for people that want to solve hard problems. And in that case, it doesn't matter who they are or where they're from or what they look like. If you're here to solve hard problems, we will make a seat at the table for you to help us solve the hardest problems that we can find. So give me an example of someone you brought on your team that did not come from the traditional pathway. Sure. Um, I have several of those. Okay. Um, <laughs> several of those. Uh, an example you and I discussed before is I'm running a cyber operations center and I found a young lady that was working in retail, uh, was working in retail, uh, began to have a knack for cyber or for computers and networks, and then began to self-study. Uh, began to self-study and found that it was sticking, right? The information was, was she was picking it up, self-study, gained a certification, the, the entry-level certification for us is Security Plus, uh, Network Plus, Security Plus. And, and although the resume was light on experience, uh, the fact that she was able to collect content she was able to self-study while working full-time and pass, you know, the entry-level certification exam that some college graduates struggle with. That told me more than enough that she had the desire, she had the focus, and she had the basic skill set to do this job, regardless of what her resume said. Even though her resume didn't scream uh, cyber professional, the, the zeal, the initiative, the, the, the um, adaptability to move from simple um, sales and invoicing from retail work to over to this, this technical society that we live in that, that showed me more than enough that, that she was capable of doing this. And so this is back to what we were talking earlier about looking at people and seeing the type of person that's applying for this job versus what they, the resume says they are. In our opinion, I think that natural curiosity uh, is far more important than just the check blocks being checked uh, from from resume comparison, looking at all the hot buttons and resume and resume databases. So I have a question about that. That's going to seem probably very simple to you, but it's been very confusing to me. So I've been working in this space for about eight years, um, a champion for diversity and cybersecurity workforce planning, and trying to get a lot of the Fortune 500 companies on board with this. And one of the common answers I get for why large companies cannot hire someone from, I'll call it an alternative pathway, although I kind of hate that term, um, from a non-college pathway is because it's required in their job that they have a degree in computer science or related. If you work for Northrop Grumman, how were you able to hire someone outside of what the job rec probably required? Did you have uh, a, a huge uphill battle? Yeah, because those requirements, those requirements are written by the corporations, but those requirements can also be rewritten. Uh, so I'm proud to say this, that Northrop Grumman actually has an initiative going on now where we are encouraging managers and leaders to begin considering people from alternative pathways, uh, actually looking for folks and, and are willing to take years of experience over degrees uh, or years of experience in lieu of degrees, if you will, let me say that, not necessarily a preference of one over the other. So 
if you don't have a four-year computer science degree, but you've been working in this industry for four to five plus years, we're willing to accept your experience. And then also we'll make it a key aspect of your hiring and say, hey, but we would love for you to continue to pursue your degree. Allow us to utilize our tuition assistance program to help you get there. But we see that you have the skills, the abilities and the experience. And we believe that that's enough to make you one of us to bring you into this profession. So every corporation has the ability to rewrite that language of requisitions to say degree preferred, but willing to accept years of experience, years of relevant experience in lieu of degree. Um, I am happy to say that I, I have launched an initiative a couple of years back with community colleges. Uh, Northrop Grumman now sponsors uh, community college scholarship programs in Maryland, and uh, we partner with six community colleges, uh, Howard County, uh, Baltimore County, Baltimore City, Carroll County, Frederick County, and Prince George's County. And we have what we call a North Roman Scholars Program. And we are paying full tuition for STEM-based students on these campuses, about 14 kids across six campuses. And we are encouraging students at that level to pursue cyber and STEM-based careers, but also, again, looking for ways to get them employment while they continue to work and finish their degrees. So I think that's a really important aspect. And, and my secondary comment to that is, in my opinion, in a lot of our corporations, we have a what I consider a, um, a risk avert um, cadre of managers or leaders. So you have leaders who are afraid to take on what, what I call projects. If you had an applicant and uh, you compare that, if you, had a, if you had a checklist for the skills and abilities you want an applicant to have, and it's a 10, 10 step checklist, and your applicant only meets six of those checklists. Most managers or hiring authorities would just just trash that person's resume and not even give them a chance without doing a proper assessment. Okay, they may only have six checked, but they may be right there this close to checking another two or three. Are you willing to give that person a chance? Are you willing to give someone an opportunity who is four classes away from finishing their degree? And, and saying, well, you don't have your degree, so come back later. But I'm four classes away. I'm yeah. almost there. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm married. I'm working full time. And I'm also going to school. I'm doing the best I can. That doesn't mean they can't do the job. That just means that your criteria is too rigid. And you're not, again, as I mentioned, taking into consideration human factors uh, of life. Um, this idea that you go to high school, you go to college, you get a job. This this very linear path uh, is not is not what's reality today. The traditional path of going to school is not the same. Uh, more than sixty percent of students on four year campuses are coming through community colleges these days. Wow. Because if your parents don't have money to pay the tuition, or you're not on some sort of grant or scholarship. Well, it makes sense. You can go to community college and get your first two years for an eighth of the cost out of the way. It is the it is the economic way of gaining your college education these days. Community colleges are blowing up all over the all over the country because they're providing that quality education for that those prerequisite courses that all students have to take in their first two years. So why have your parents spend 
$85,000 when they could spend $45,000 essentially. Spoken like a dad who has kids to send to college. <laughs> Absolutely. So Absolutely. let me summarize a few of the points and then um, you let me know your thoughts on that. What I heard today is that you think that um, the person job fit, the personality is equally as important um, as the technical skills. Yes. We're working in team. We're working in team organizations, team environments, and the personality is just as important, if not sometimes more than the technical. Um, you can find a lot of people with the skill set, but will they fit in with the team? If they don't fit in with the team, it becomes a distraction. The team gets distracted, and the team is going to fail. And that brings me to another point that I heard from you, which is the team is more important than the individuals. Yes, one hundred percent. My. Uh, my bargain, if you will, that I strike with my employees is the team concept is the most important part. So I need you to 100% buy into the team's needs. Therefore, I need you to divorce yourself from your personal needs and allow me to prioritize your personal professional growth needs. So that is my role as a manager, as a leader, to ensure that Martha is growing professionally and moving on to what her goals are. But in the meantime, during Martha's nine to five, I need Martha totally engaged with what the team needs are. So that's a manager or a leader's role to help grow his or her staff of individuals to make them the best professionals they can be, even if it means, and no one, not everyone likes to hear this, even if it means they eventually outgrow their responsibility for your team. Uh, Mike, I have a, don't want to speak in the third person, I have an idea, and my idea is that attrition should be considered a, a factor of business. You should know that if you are properly uh, feeding and nurturing your team, that they are going to outgrow their existence on your team. Therefore, if you are communicating with them properly and you're discussing their future needs, you can say, hey, Martha wants to be here in the next 12 to 18 months. So therefore, I'm now working with Martha, helping her get ready for her next role in the company or outside of the company. And now Martha and I are on a schedule, we're on a plan. So I know Next summer, I need to help Martha find another job. Meanwhile, I'm now positioning Martha's replacement to come in because Martha and I have open communication. So Martha said, yeah, Mike, I think I found my next thing. I'll be out of here in about three months. Hey, Martha, that's great. If you need anything, let me know. Meanwhile, I'm now cultivating Martha's replacement to come in. And therefore, attrition is not uh, a sad day. Attrition is a, it's a good day. It's like a graduation. Martha, I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for your next adventure. Good luck. Let me know if I can help. Meanwhile, I don't have an empty seat because I have worked attrition into a factor of business. I know who's on schedule to be here for the next year. I know who's on schedule to leave here for the next year. Therefore, I can schedule my backfills and my replacements or my interviews and staffing activities. I can do my demand planning and needs planning as, as, as I need to with, with the schedule that I've created with my employees, whom I'm talking with and speaking with on a regular basis about their growth and their development as professionals. Mike, I wish we had more time because I feel like you just opened up a whole other topic having to do with trust. And I sure. I love the way you articulated that. Um, unfortunately, our time has come to a close, but okay. um, it was this was very eye-opening for me. Again, every time I talk to you, I hear something a little bit different. Um, and I, I just love your philosophy and how you view everything. Um, Good luck on your next adventures, and maybe we can have Thanks. you back on a year from now and hear what great things you've done next. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Martha. Always a pleasure. Thank you. 
We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.